This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Stevens, the New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of Kick-Ass International Thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. Taylor, happy Friday the 13th. That's what today is? Today is Friday, September 13th. We're recording today for Tuesday. So happy Friday the 13th. Well, uh, happy Friday the 13th you do. I guess that's how we celebrate it. I was thinking about the fact that it was Friday the 13th earlier today because my day had been so horrifically bad. It's just like one stumbling block after another that started at 5 a.m. and just kept going and kept going and kept going. And I'm like, oh, it's Friday the 13th. And then I was reflect. I am not a superstitious person and I'm not a person that, you dreads every Friday the 13th, but this has been a really bad Friday the 13th. I'm and so I was sorry. reflecting back on something that happened when I was maybe 19 or 20 and in college and working one of those jobs that you work when you're in college, although most people don't work a job like this when they're in college, and everything that went wrong that day. So if you don't mind, I'm going to chit chat about that. Yeah, go for it. All right, so picture this. I mean, it's it is a it's Friday the thirteenth. I'm in Ohio. I'm working in a building with three. Okay, what time of year? We need the, we need winter. the temperature. We need winter. Winter. We're, okay. we're going to get there. We're going to get there. Okay. Um, I'm working in a building with three people, and the building is maybe the size of a guest bedroom. It's really small. And okay. The company that I worked for was an oil transportation company. So we delivered fuel oil to people's homes. And it was snowing. Like Okay, crazy. now we've got that. Now yes. we've got that. <laughs> so it's cold, the wind is blowing, and it's snowing, and the snow is piling up. It's like 8 in the morning, and it's just piling up. And it's supposed to go on and on and on like this. So it's like we need to get all of the fuel oil delivered today because we might not be able to get to people's houses tomorrow. So this elderly guy, elderly, he's my age. Um, <clears throat> the age I am now is the age he was at that time. I'm trying really hard not to laugh. It, yeah, okay, thank you. <laughs> so we take off of the truck, and we start going places, and one bad thing happens after another. Like, you well, know, you have we, to give us those details. We went into a ditch and had to be pulled out with a wrecker. And this is a, it's, it's not like a tank truck, but it's a good-sized truck with a, it's a lot of weight. In the, in the fuel oil tank that is okay. full because we're going from place to place to place. And just literally one bad thing after another, including going into a ditch, calling for a wrecker or tow truck, being pulled out. It's freezing cold. The wind is blowing all day long. This is going on. Every place we go, you get out. The wind is howling. You tighten up your gloves. You pull down your toboggan and you pull the hose down to wherever you're filling up the, uh, the tank. So we get to the last stop of the day, and it's on top of a hill, and there's no way to get down the hill except 
we can't get close to the house. So the hose, thankfully, is really long. And so it takes two of us to pull it all the way down there. We get down there to where we are, and all of a sudden I hear, uh uh-oh. That's never, 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 never a good uh, sign. I look up, and this truck is sliding down the hill towards us and the house. And it's like your mind flashes through every possible solution of, you know, can we get in front of it? Can we jump in it and start it and take it off? You know, take off in it. What can we do? And you just realize there's nothing that you can do. And it's just like this slow motion sliding down the hill into the porch, knocking the porch roof down and into the house. And it's just like, oh, my God. (laughs) So it was the truck you were in or a different car? No, it was the truck we were in. We had parked it on top of a hill. And we must have parked on the, you know, like a little bit to the side because we needed to get close enough. And it just started sliding sideways, not forward, sideways down the hill. And with that much weight, there was no stopping it. And, you know, thankfully oh the people, God. I don't, I would not have been pretty cool with this. I don't remember them like blowing up or anything. And it, it was just awful. And then, so we, the same tow truck we finally oh make God. it home. And that was, you know, I've had, everyone has had way worse days than that, but that was the worst day in terms of like just weird, crazy stuff that happened that it happened to be on a Friday the 13th. And I was thinking about it earlier today. So question for you, have you ever had a Friday the 13th that was memorably bad? To be honest, I am usually not even aware it's Friday the 13th. <laughs> You're so... usually not aware that it's Friday. I'm usually not aware what year I'm in sometimes. (laughs) Um, So I I honestly do not recall ever having a bad Friday the 13th. And and the bad days that I have had, I can't say that I even... Like, you don't... Unless they either become their own day or there's something that already is a day. It's just a day. You don't like remember when it was. It Mm -hmm. just happened. Mm -hmm. So sorry, I don't have a matching story for that. I have a matching life for that, but not a matching story for that. (laughs) (laughs) And if I could just, this is completely off the topic of what we're going to be talking about, which are fists, knives, guns, and smarts. You know, we'll get into that and what that has to do with, with writing. But we were chatting before we came on and I was talking about messages coming in and you, everybody knows the sound of messages coming in on your computer or on your phone or something. And I said, bing, bang, bang, bing, ricochet rabbit. And Taylor says, what's that? And I'm like, Oh my (laughs) gosh, you've never heard of ricochet rabbit. So I'm curious for listeners out there. Um, it I think this was in 1964 when ricochet rabbit was on. Which I just want to say in my defense was before I was born. Okay? Yes, and you were <laughs> you didn't spend your childhood in the United States, so you have lots of reasons. But I'm assuming that I'm not the only one who, for whom who that I don't know those sounds make you think of Ricochet Rabbit. So let us know in the Taylor Stevens fan club group if you remember that at all. Otherwise, I'll just be on an island as this old guy who remembers a stupid cartoon. <laughs> It was a great reference, though. I'm going to have to find a way to use that. 
All right, so our topic today is, I think we're going to title this show something like Choose Your Weapons, but the question really is, if you're writing, I don't know, thriller, suspense, something like that, anything that involves uh, a weapon, um, and that weapon could be fists or you know, martial arts or something like that, or knives or guns, or in the case of some PI, uh, private investigator type things, or just, you know, the whole suspense thing where there's the genius who figures things out. The weapon can be smarts. And so how much do we as writers need to know about those things if we're going to select one of them to be the, I don't know, the superpower of our protagonist? Well, clearly, I have to come from the perspective of smarts. Okay, that was supposed to be a laugh line. <laughs> well, I was thinking about how smart Monroe was, so yeah. Well, um, so I, I come at that from two different angles, right? So the first is there's this, this sort of this saying of write what you know. So you get a lot of stories like law, law books that are written by lawyers, medical books that are written by medical professionals, and you get a lot of you know military thrillers written by military former military people or even current. And um, it seems to me that in many cases, those characters, whatever their weapon is, often tends to uh, mirror somewhat the experience of the author. So, um, you know, somebody who's been in the military and who's writing military thrillers is obviously going to bring that sense of realism to their material. So there's that, which is sort of like this sort of, I don't know, it is known this is what you do, right? And then, and then there's me. <laughs> I don't know anything about guns. I don't know anything about knives. I don't know anything about fighting. I don't know anything about this, right? So I think the answer is it depends. It depends on you, the author. So when you already have a skill, whether it be knitting, gardening, uh flying an airplane, performing neurosurgery, whatever it is, you have that ability to bring a sense of realism in with that skill, right? You you give it this sense of authenticity because you're coming from actually knowing what you're talking about. That's very, very helpful. The downside of being an expert in something is you bring too much of it in with you. And instead of the story being about whatever the story is about, we get these uh, super long, detailed fight scenes of, you know, this fist landed on that cheek. Meanwhile, this elbow went out here. And for most readers, it's boring. They don't need that much detail. They just want the action they want to flow, and then they want to move on and, and get to the end of it. And the same with if you happen to be a medical doctor and you are writing a medical thriller, you you can bring that authenticity into the story by having, you know, an acute sense of operating procedure and how things run. But you can bog down the story by getting into too much detail of that when the story is not about that specifically. Right. So. That's where part of the depends comes from. If you're someone who doesn't have any of 
and especially not so much in, you know, I wouldn't recommend somebody who has no experience in the medical field writing a medical thriller, for example. It's just going to be that much harder to get it right. Not that you can't, it's just you don't have a platform. People are like, why are you writing a medical thriller when you are, have, you know, you've never even been to a hospital, that type of thing, right? So my, the way that I come from it, though, is one of the, the internet is your oyster, right? So if you're someone who knows how to research and look things up and find things for yourself, then I don't really think there is a limitation on what you have to know before you can bring that into the story. What you do need to know is where the pitfalls are, where the arguments are going to be, what's going to make you look stupid. And, and there are tricks to figuring that out and writing around those issues so that they don't show up on the page. If you're someone who has a tendency to, um, and, the, and this not saying it's bad to do it this way, everybody's got their own way of writing, but some people just kind of, um, they freestyle onto the page. Any experience they've had or seen on television is their reference point, and they, they don't go further than that. So say, for example, someone is writing a, a, a courtroom scene or, or describing a courtroom scene or describing something that happened in a courtroom scene as part of their book. If their only frame of reference for that is what they've seen on television, they have no concept of what a courtroom scene is really like. <laughs> Not that I personally can speak from experience, but I listen to what lawyers, how lawyers have talked about those descriptions, and I can tell from the way they're laughing at them that it's not for real, right? So that's how, that's, I'm like, okay, as me, as, as a writer, if I ever am going to write something that deals with that, I know that's a pitfall. Do not believe in, do not use anything I see on television as a reference. And I go start to listen to the lawyers and I listen to them talk and I listen to, the, you know, I'll follow their Twitter feeds, I'll, I'll read their blogs or whatever, and I'll start to get my own feel for it just enough to give it a sense of realism without having to pretend to come off as an expert in that. And I had a, it's actually a really interesting uh, point to experience, whatever, words, can't do words today. Um, that happened with writing uh, Liar's Legacy. Uh, I had some phrases in Russian that needed that were in the book, and I had done so much research to try and find um, phrases, like s certain swears that would kind of give a specific implication. And I ended up with a couple that I ran them through translators. I went and looked on um, sites that would... Uh, interpret from the actual uh, Russian. I can't say this is acrylic or I don't know how to pronounce Cyrillic? it. I'm sorry. I've, Cyrillic. I've never heard it said. I've only seen it written. So, um, yes. So taking that and running that through an actual, not a Google translator, but an actual site that that does the actual translating and just ran it through so many different ways, backwards and forwards, to make sure it wasn't being messed up. And then I put out a plea for you know anybody on Facebook is a native Russian speaker and you're willing to help me with some phrases, please contact me. And I had forgotten there's somebody that actually knew who is a native Russian speaker. And they're like, Hey, remember me? I'm like, Oh my God, I can't believe I didn't like contact you first. So anyway, I explained what I was going, what I was looking for in these phrases, because I know that you can't just directly translate word to word. It's, that's not how language works. Like language has a feeling to it. 
and there's lots of nuance in words. And sometimes the same word can be said 50 different ways for 50 different situations and mean something completely different each time. That's language is very fluid in its in its use and you can get something that's textbook accurate but culturally inappropriate. So I, I explained to him what I was looking for and he told me that the phrase that I was using was often shown up in movies trying to portray Russians as bad guys, so much so that in Russia, people will use that phrase to make fun of people trying to pretend to be bad, like like mm. that Thai guy's trying to pretend to be a bad guy because they're mocking it with using Western westernized movies. I've never heard it in a movie. I'd never seen it in a movie. I had no earthly clue how it was that there, there was no... There was no connection between it being overused in Hollywood inappropriately and how I came to find that term, right? So that I had done all the right research, but sometimes you have to talk to an expert to make sure you're getting it right. So there's there's there are some things that you as an author, when you're choosing your weapons, whether it's fighting, you know, smarts, knives, guns, whatever, you don't have to necessarily be an expert in any of those things, if you're willing to read and learn and and listen to what people who are experts in those say. But if you if you don't want to make the effort and spend all that time trying to get it right, then best stick to what you know, unless you don't care if people laugh at you or, you know, poke holes at your writing. And some authors really don't. And that's okay. They've got huge audiences and the audiences know they're going to get ridiculousness in it and nobody cares. And, and and that's okay. So it, it depends on what you want, like what your personal standards are. There are no right or wrong. It's what works for you. And then it depends on your personality and your writing style of how much work you're willing to do to understand what you don't know and find the holes in the knowledge that you do have. So I'm not a fighter, right? Monroe is skilled with knives. She's skilled with guns. She's skilled with, um, you know, hand-to-hand combat and all of these things. And when people read those scenes, they feel incredibly authentic and they feel incredibly real. And it's because I've avoided all the detail. There's no her fist hit his right thing and then she twisted this. It's all internal. It's it's her. It's what she's personally experiencing as she is in that fight. It's it's her. You are inside her body. You are inside her mind, inside her emotions. And that's why it feels real. It's not going overboard on describing all of this detail. Um, I've, I've been commended by gun uh, fanatics about how I don't tend to get gun details wrong. And that's because I know nothing about guns. So I come from this place of I am a fool, let me educate myself and I will research incessantly down to if I'm going to, you know, name a weapon, I'm going to go look at look at its actual specs. I will find out what uh, what magazines it carries, what kind of uh bullets it uses, what kind, how many bullets can go into every single magazine that it carries. And I will do everything possible to make sure that no information that shows up on the page will violate anything that is in the actual manufacturer's uh, <laughs> detailing of that weapon, because I know nothing and I acknowledge that I know nothing. Um, and, the, and the same with, with, with any piece of information that I'm putting into those, those stories, 
I, I have, at the beginning, made the mistake of relying on assumptions, of relying on stereotypes, what I'd seen in movies, whatever. But, and, and I got called out on some things that I couldn't have known better for, you know, things like calling cement concrete, concrete cement, which as I learned, it's wet, it's cement. If it's hardened, it's concrete. Very easy, right? Um, but I didn't know that. You know, little things like that, mixing up engine and motor. Um, and, and you learn as you go along, as people start pointing those things out to you, you learn those. But as far as having to be an expert in any particular thing, I really think that there is no standard. It, it's really up to what, what it is you're writing and who you are as an author and what your personal um, preferences are and how hard you're willing to work to get it right. The only thing I would say maybe, you know, you're making it really hard for yourself is if you try and write a thriller that is, um, you know, like we had talked, like I mentioned earlier, a medical thriller, and you, and you have no medical experience whatsoever. You're you're. It's not that the book can't be good. It's that your audience is going to think, how could it be good, before they even start reading it? Because how could you possibly know these things? Is there some way to tie in? You know, so and so spent the last six years dealing with hospitals while you know her husband was trying to find a solution for this very rare disease. Then all of a sudden you have a connection of somehow your medical experience is now connected to this story. And, and then that makes the readers or the reviewers or whatever just l relax a bit and go, okay, this author knows what they're doing. So it's not that someone with zero experience can't write a book like that. It's that the audience won't trust you until you have some way to prove that you can, I guess is what I'm trying to say. All right. You said, you said something that I, that I wrote down here, and, and that was – I think this is a direct quote, any piece of information. And, and that speaks to the level of detail that you go in to get things right. And I, as a reader, can remember reading your books before we'd ever talked and going, oh, wow, I didn't know that, with lots of different things. And instantly believing it because of the way you presented everything in the book. It was just believable to me. I didn't think that's BS, or, or I want to go verify that. I just, I believed it because it, it fit in so perfectly with, with everything that was happening. Well, like, I, I wish there were, every reader was like you, Steve. <laughs> well, let, let me compare that to another series that I'm reading now, and I won't go into any details about the series. I'm really enjoying it, but it's, it is the opposite, where there's a lot of technical claims and in my mind, I'm like, I wonder if that's true. I don't think that's true. I wonder if it's true. And so because it started that way, then I question everything. And so I, I'm just sort of drawing a parallel from the, from the point where there was no stumbling block in any book that you've ever written because I also don't know the difference between concrete and whatever the other thing is. Um, so there, there has never been that stumbling block for me where I question the validity of what you're saying, and some of it is so interesting that I would go do some research on it and go, wow, this is really cool. I'm glad I've learned about this. As opposed to another book that's just being written, and they're fun, but it, the, all of these things that, all of these technical things that happen are they feel like conveniences rather than an actual piece of equipment or hardware that is in use in the world that most people don't know about or don't understand right. that plays a role in the book. 
Yeah, I think some of it might have to do with speed. Like when you need to write quickly and you need to write a lot of stuff really fast, you don't have time. You just don't to go in and research all this stuff. And so you, you're forced to rely on what you already know and kind of wing it along the way, I, I suspect. Yeah, and, and you just you also, because of, of speed, you have a need for something to happen. And so you just create this technology out of thin air that allows it to happen, and then you move on. You don't, you don't spend a week and a half trying to figure out a better way to make it happen. You just you, you put something together, and you move on. It's good and, enough, and you got to go. Yeah, and the stories are, are entertaining, and they're fun, and you just move on. But there's never been the sense of, with any of this, although this, this particular author does have one unique set of experiences that, that plays out really well in the books, and it's it's like a medical thing, although that's not what it is at all. But there's some level of expertise in something that I completely buy it, with all of it. And it's like, oh, I didn't know that about this. And that's, probably, that's cool. There's probably a greater attention to detail and explanation in those things mm -hmm. that gives it that sense of reality. And they're able to craft that in their work without having to go, you know, research or study it because it's already there. It's in their knowledge set. And so they're, they see it, they feel it, they've breathed it and, and experience it. And they're able to offer that, um, with the extra texture just naturally. But when you don't know something, you don't realize how much texture is missing because you yourself don't fully envision it in your head. It's like if the author can't see it and the author hasn't had a chance to, to, um, I guess mentally live it, then how is it supposed to, how, how, if it's never been conjured into life, is it supposed to feel alive when it's on the page? All right. And I, I think we can go further with this topic, but we're out of time here. So I, I want to carry this into the next episode, if you don't mind. Absolutely. All right. So we're going to cut it off here. Uh, we will be back again next week. Um, going into a little bit more detail in a slightly different direction on this topic. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will be back in your ear next Tuesday. See you next week.